about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And we are back. Welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve as always and P-Wagon. And today's a special episode. We got a bye week coming up, so we've we've got two guests for you guys. First is our good friend on Twitter, Giuliano. Uh, how you doing, buddy? Good, guys. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on the Four Horsemen Pod. Uh, it's it's great to it's great to have you. Um, so why don't you let our listeners know just a little bit about yourself, uh, how you became an ND fan, and then whatnot. Okay, I'm uh, from Ohio, and I became an ND fan at a young age. My first uh, trip up there was a, a spring game, and I fell in love with like Rudy, the tradition. My uncle made me a fan, and my first game was back in 2004 when Ty Willingham was the coach against the Washington Huskies, and Carlisle Holiday threw for three touchdowns that day, and we got the W, but been a diehard fan for many years. And uh, in your experience, because, you know, you're pro- you've probably seen about as probably more games than the rest of us um, mm. just just going on. I don't think I don't think Steve has been watching since the early 2000s. Um, 2005. So in, yeah. 2005. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, uh, how good is this team compared to other Notre Dame teams in the past? This is probably one of the best teams that I've seen with the focus, the mentality, the speed, the athleticism, like they just, maybe not as like talent wise, you go like, you know, we don't have a Claypool obviously this year or a, uh, a Miles Boykin just for the future. Cause yeah, but going back to the two thousands, we've had a lot of good receivers, but it just, our defense was atrocious in those times. It was just, we were just hanging on for dear life. You know, so I would say this team is up there for sure. Now that 05 team with Brady Quinn, Darius Walker, that was a solid offensive team, but we weren't built. If we had a hundred Zibikowskis running around, then maybe, you know, as a complete team. But yeah, this is by far one of my favorite teams. And 2015 was a good team too. I thought, I thought we were going in the right direction, but this team is more solid, more on the ground. Yeah, I think I echo that too. Um, it reminds me a lot of the 2018 team where we, yeah. we went to the college football playoff. But I think, I think we're faster, especially yes. in defense. I think there's just a lot more athleticism on this team. And I think Book, you know, that was Book's breakout season. I think Book's been better um, this year and a little more developed. And even though the receiver talent is not quite the same, I think we're better offensively. The offensive line is as good, uh, if not better, than 2018. And then running backs, we got three now talented talented backs which we haven't really had in the past um mm-hmm. josh adams was great but there was not much depth beyond him um so yeah steve what do you, you know on the same question where do you kind of rank this team compared to the others yeah for sure i mean this is definitely the the most well-balanced talented team i mean there were definitely other teams i mean think about if uh if we had on one side with even with book at qb and i, I like book a lot i love him um, think if he had on his left Equiminia St. Brown and on his right, Will Fuller, 
you're right. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. And, it, and it's I'm, just like we've had we had a, a you know a couple of of those lull years. You know, 2014, 2015, 2016, 17, where we had so much talent run through. But uh, as I've mentioned in previous podcasts. It always felt like we we put together a talented unit in this you know talented tight ends, talented receivers, talented corners. You know with with Julian Love uh, and and Troy Pride, we we always had talent in different pockets. It just never came together at the right, right. moment. Sure. This 100%. is one of those years where it just feels like you can go through just you know tier after tier. You know front seven, defense, secondary, the, the the offensive line, even the skill position players pulling their weight. And it's like no, we don't have. I, by and large, with the exception of the Joker and, and Hamilton, guys that are going to be by and you know f- free and clear top ten, top fifteen picks. Those mm-hmm. are the only two exceptions as of now. Who knows who else, you know who develops into what down the line? Um, but it, you just ha- you see so much speed, so much athleticism, everyone working cohesively as a unit, and it's all coming together at once on every aspect of the game: offense, defense, special teams. So that's that is what makes. 2020 feel like 1988 <laughs> yeah I, I think i think that's the big problem notre dame has had right has been uh, we can never seem to get it all yeah. click at once and the best example is i remember i think this was the year before we started our podcast um 2017 season i remember saying if deshaun kaiser stayed that year we would have won the national championship because yeah, i team... can't disagree with that yeah loaded you're right that's a good statement yeah, because you got Wimbush, right? And that kind of, mm-hmm. you know, he was he was fine for some for some of it, but yeah, if you had Deshaun Kaiser or I think it was Zaire as well that year, um, but if it was Kaiser instead of those guys, I feel like you know that would have been the year. And um, and and it always seems to be that way with Notre Dame. It's like when are we going to get it all click? And this season, it felt like at the start of the season, I don't know if the offense could do it. And what we've seen in the last four weeks is the offense can do it and i think that's what makes it so exciting another point is i'm sure the listeners were are screaming at us right now 2012 the year we actually played in a title game um that team's offense was pitiful really really bad we were winning games by the skin of our teeth like miami are this year and we were a good team and i think we were a top five team that year but we weren't i think as good now the defense might have been better for the era it was in right because that was more of a a different style of defense, but the way our defense plays now is way more athletic, uh, as we as we said. Um, so I'm going to get P Wagon into this. Um, sure. We were just talking about um, how this team stacks up to teams in the past, and uh, what, what year did you start watching them, P? Ninety five. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Wow. You're old. Um, so how does this stack up with them compared to the nineties? Or- Playpool double reverse. First down. Okay, you're sorry. The, sorry. sorry. <laughs> if it wasn't Chase Claypool, I wouldn't have said anything. You're the worst. Um, <laughs> I got it, him in fantasy. <laughs> it's weird. 95, I was four years old, so I don't really remember those teams. I've watched the games back because I'm psychotic. But if you look at, like, Brady Quinn's teams or even Matt Lavecchio, those early teams of the 2000s, they were okay. They were never good. Obviously, we didn't win a bowl game until 2008, the Sun Bowl in Miami or the Hawaii Bowl, one of those weird... It was the Hawaii years. Bowl. Yeah. That was when Clausen uh, and Tate Clawson. went off. Yeah. Um, I actually left a family party to watch that game. Uh, but now is more complete. I definitely think this is probably the best team I've seen since I've started watching. 
Uh, the one thing that I wanted to say, 2012, everyone says, oh, Monte Teo was the you know Heisman candidate and all that. If you watch him play, he's pedestrian. Seven interceptions, P. Seven for he's, a linebacker. He's a pedestrian <laughs> player who knew how to trail a play. I like, saw him pick off Michigan twice that year. I was there for that game, I and did. the NCAA tries to tell us that we never that that game never happened, so they can just they can. I'm, but yeah, twenty twelve. Yeah, um, eighteen and twenty twenty. I would say twenty twenty right now is the the best. Yeah, I, I think yeah. we're in agreement there. Um, so Giuliano, how, you yeah. know, we just played Boston College. We're eight games into the yeah. season. Um, mm-hmm. What are your notes of the team? You know, is there any any kind of details that you've you've seen uh, particularly this year? Oh, absolutely. And the credit, because I've been Brian Kelly's probably biggest critic. And it was like, we've all thought like, when's it, we going to win the big one? When are, when's he going to do this? When's he going to do that? I think the credit goes to him. He has just changed his whole demeanor, his dynamic with the team on how he's looking ahead. It's not good enough just to win football games. It's a healthy look ahead. And he's done that. He's looked inside himself like we need to play Notre Dame. And that's what he's doing with the tradition and putting in the new style with that grit, that toughness, that this is where we have to do to be a contender again. And he's done, he's done it time and time again. And that started with Pitt because Louisville, after watching Louisville, I was like, oh, my goodness, why, why, why? <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> and I just I was trying to be positive. But when I saw the way the team responded at Pitt and then Georgia Tech, I said, they're going to beat Clemson. Brian Kelly is just flipped the script and just getting the team more focused, mentally engaged. Like against Michigan a year ago, it looked like that team didn't even want to be there. And that's why I was very critical. Like, dude, you're the head coach. You need to, like, why are we not ready? Especially after a bye week. But, yeah, he's changed the, just the mentality, the focus. And they're a veteran group. And for those who hate on Ian Book can just go play in traffic. Because <laughs> I've said it since he, since he came under center. The kid's a gamer. He is the spirit of Notre Dame. That's just my opinion. You know, he's tough. I like him. He's. The, I hope he gets a Heisman uh, look here soon. Yeah, I, I'm going to say something that's ridiculous, but keep in mind, I'm not saying these players are the same. But when I look of old clips of Joe Montana at Notre Dame, I actually see a little mm-hmm. bit of Ian Book in terms of not being the greatest athlete you would expect on the college field. You know, he's not six foot five. He's not lo- like launching the ball 70 yards down the field like you would see from both Clemson quarterbacks. But he's mobile. He wins games. And that's what Montana's, yep. at least at Notre Dame, obviously he went on to be probably the greatest quarterback ever. But at Notre Dame, Joe Montana was just kind of a game manager win- winner. Like he just won everything. He The reason he started Notre Dame is he kept coming in in relief and winning ball games. And, you know, he goes on to win the national championship. And that that's kind of, I think, how Ian's career is projected a bit, right? He, he started off as the backup, overtook Brandon Wimbush for the job. And mm-hmm. and now he's just winning games. He's 28-3 and three in his time. And, and you bring up Coach Kelly, and that's something, you know, the account tweeted out last night that we just want to highlight to all of our listeners. Brian mm-hmm. Kelly is 137 at Notre Dame, not including the vacated wins, for a, a win percentage of... 0.73, which is exactly where the program is all time. Um, in the last four years, so since 2017, and this is where Kelly, I think, has gotten a lot better. That disastrous 4-8 yes. season, you could have fired him and you wouldn't have complained. I wouldn't have complained too much, but it, it changed everything. Since then, 
we are 40 and 6, a win percentage of 87. That's mm-hmm. unreal. That's We are at that cusp of That's just elite. greatness. Yes. We're right there. Yes. The difference between us and Clemson, Alabama, is they've won a title. But we're in that group with Georgia and Oklahoma, in my opinion, because they haven't won a title either, but they're consistently there. And uh, right. and I think that's what's so impressive with Kelly. So I'll ask you, you know, has has he sold you in the last, you know, weeks, months, years? Are, are you kind of on the BK train? Yeah, because that's after the Michigan debacle, I would if you would have me on the show, you would have heard me rant for 45 minutes. I was just so frustrated because I know it's there. And then. The way we dominated at the end of last season, I said, okay, look at our recruiting. This is the best recruiting has been in years. Years. Yeah, years from top to bottom. So I'm like, okay. And just like I said, when he, after Louisville, he was like, nope, this ain't going to work. We're not, this is, we're not doing that. We're not getting into that. We're not, we're Notre Dame. We're not doing, we're done with that. I've been here 11 years. And he's gotten, and that tells me a great coach, he's gotten the players to buy into the message. So, yeah, Brian Kelly is definitely dealing aces. Uh, I have respect, more respect for him. I think uh, he's the right fit at Notre Dame. I I fought for him for a long time, but like I said, it was getting frustrating. But, yeah, Brian Kelly has turned the program around. It's the healthiest it's ever been. For sure. And I mean, you and Steve could have a conversation for decades about recruiting. I'm sure, you know, he loves that stuff. And uh, but we've noted that on the show, too. Recruiting has been a lot better. People are buying in. Kelly gets Notre Dame. You know, he grew up, I think, a Notre Dame fan. Um, You know, he he understands what this is. And uh, and I really just hope for his career that he gets it done here. Um, It would be it would be good for him after 11 years. Um, So what we're going to do now is. We're going to run through the rest of the schedule, and I just want you to give me kind of a prediction. So we've got sure. uh, North Carolina in two weeks. Yeah. We've got Syracuse at home, and then we're going to play Wake Forest in that makeup game. And then we'll assume that we're in the ACC title game. Four games, what are your thoughts? So I think that we our offense should dominate North Carolina because I've watched the Tar Heels. They scared me early in the year, but their defense is abysmal. We And the way we're playing and the way Book is playing – uh, it, and I, the way our defense now with the bye week, it's a perfect time to rest up and get recharged. So I think we should 45 points against the Tar Heels, 45 to 17, 24 maybe. That's, yeah, I think our defense is better than their offense. That's good. And what about the last two? Do you think we win them both? I think so at home, especially. We don't lose at home anymore. I love that. That's been a big thing of mine. Like, that's our hallowed home. Don't let anybody come in there. Just take care of business, seniors, send them out right, Ian Book. I think that's a big uh, game. A lot of guys are going to get in that game. Wake Forest yep. is tricky. I think they're a little tricky. I was worried when back in 2017 when Ian Book got his first start. Was that – or no, 2018, I'm sorry, at Wake. There I was nervous, but then we just took control. So I think that's another game, kind of a Boston College where we – little slow, but we get we get it going. But Perfect. Uh, All right. Last last bit. Do we win the ACC championship? Yeah, we do. And awesome. that's probably, I would say, although everyone would say, well, that's biased. You love it. I don't care who's playing quarterback. Trevor Lawrence, Luca Lay, or whatever his name is. <laughs> okay. I don't care. And that's what I told everyone going into the Clemson game. They're still the number one team in the country. It's still Clemson. And now we believe we can do it. The mentality has shifted. 
and everyone will be like, oh, Notre Dame can't win, beat Clemson with Lawrence. Watch, watch. We will be ACC champs, and we'll be the first program in history to not lose an ACC game, and then we bounce and go back to being independent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love, I love it. it. All right. Thank you, Giuliano. This has been excellent. Um, longtime listener. Guys, go follow Giuliano on Twitter. Um, do you want to do you want to rep your your handle? Uh, let me pull it up. <laughs> I know it's just Julie. I believe it's just Giuliano. Giuliano. Yeah, at Romeo. Giuliano Romeo. Yep, that's it. Perfect. Go Guys, give him give him a follow um, and go Irish. Go Irish. Thanks for that, D. Uh, now up, we have Lisa Kelly. Uh, Lisa Kelly is probably one of our biggest guests and probably one of the most influential. Back in 2012, uh, she was named the biggest fan of the Big East. Uh, and I believe that was right uh, right during when Notre Dame basketball was playing Syracuse and the upset number one Syracuse. Uh, Lisa has written three books about Notre Dame. Uh, one of which I just finished right before we started recording. Uh, phenomenal book. Uh, Lisa's also a graduate of the University of Notre Dame, class of 1993. Uh, so Lisa, thank you for coming on, and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. No problem. So we're, we're going to start a little bit. We're going to take it back. Uh, a ways and, and talk about ND. Uh, if you've been following our Twitter, uh, our big movement that we've been doing is that it feels like 1988. Uh, with that, did you start ND in 98 or was that 1989 when you began there? I was a freshman in 89. So that was my senior year in high school. <laughs> okay, perfect. Can you confirm that it does feel like 1988 right now? It does. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So, in 89 to 93, that means you saw the, the Penn State game, you saw the game of the century, you saw the Boston College game. Uh, out of all of those, what was your favorite game that, that you were there for? My favorite game, hands down, was that Penn State snowball. I mean, that was amazing. That was our last home game of my senior year, and... I also played inner hall football. So as a side note, we were in the championship, which was at 9 a.m. the next morning. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it was a little rough getting up to play football. <laughs> that is, that's phenomenal. And I believe that's actually the first game that I can remember. Uh, I had to listen to it on radio. We had a, a power outage. So uh, we have pretty similar timelines. I may not have been playing inter hall football at that time. Uh, but really, Lisa, you're, you wrote for One Foot Down, or you're writing for One Foot Down, and you're a little bit of a uh, historian, a Notre Dame historian, and uh, as a history major myself, I can definitely appreciate that. Uh, being that you are so much of this, uh, this historian, so a, just a, a wealth of knowledge, if you will, uh, what do you think, if you had to compare, between Brian Kelly's tenure at Notre Dame and Lou Holtz's tenure. Where, where do you think Brian Kelly falls? Is he on the scale of one to Lou? Uh, is he up to that Lou level, or where, where do you think he would be? I mean, Lou Holtz to me is always going to be the ultimate, so it would be hard to be on a Lou scale in my mind, but I'm sure I'm biased because I was there with Lou. Um, I think Kelly has done a fantastic job. 
But, you know, if you look back to Holtz, you know, I was talking with someone the other day who spit out a number of how many, you know, top five teams Holtz beat, you know, which, you know, Kelly's only beat one. So, you know, he's, I think he's getting there, but I don't, he, to me, he's not at a Lou Holtz level at this point. Okay, that, that's a de- definitely a fair argument. I think a couple of the uh, the hosts on here would definitely agree with that. Uh, and really, we used to talk about during our first season here how we got to this point of starting the podcast and how we became Notre Dame fans. Uh, how how was your trek to being an ND fan? Sure, um, I think I was born with a blue and gold diaper on, so. <laughs> My dad went to Notre Dame. He's class of 65. And so just from as long as I can remember, you know, we either watched Notre Dame football or had it on the radio. Um, I think I was about three years old when I learned my first colorful word while my dad and grandpa were watching Notre Dame USC Thanksgiving weekend. And the next thing my mom is like, why is your daughter sitting on the couch saying a four letter word over and over again? (laughs) (laughs) So I just, you know, I didn't really have a choice. You love Notre Dame football and that's how it was in my house. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Uh, And now, you have written three books uh, about Notre Dame, uh, Echoes from the End Zone, The Men We Became, and Triumphs from Notre Dame. Uh, what really made you want to write these books and tell the stories of the players? Well, when I was in that contest in 2011, 2012 for The Biggest Fan, I you know, was writing a lot and covering Notre Dame, both football and basketball. And I kind of became more aware during that time period that the media loves to gravitate to the negative stories. So you're always going to hear about, you know, the guy who drags his girlfriend out of an elevator or, you know, cheats on a final, you know, they kind of centralize those kind of negative things. And I wanted to start a series on my blog that kind of highlighted the positive stuff. And, you know, in talking to a lot of former Notre Dame players, they're doing some awesome things, not only in their careers, but in their communities as well. So that's kind of how it got started. It was like a where are they now? You know, each guy would kind of tell his journey on how he got to Notre Dame, what his experience was like and where his life went after football. And so, you know, I never really intended to write books. It was just going to be a series on my blog. And the first guy I interviewed was Oscar McBride, you know, and his story had a couple thousand page views, which to me was a lot for my tiny little blog. And then the second guy was Rick Meyer and it had 10,000 page views. So very quickly, I realized that I wasn't the only one that wanted to hear these positive stories. And it just kind of took on a life of its own. (laughs) That's awesome. And uh, reading your your first book, uh, you had an interview uh, with Tim Brown, and 
that was just a phenomenal part of the book. I'm a huge Tim Brown fan. Uh, I even have a letter from Gary Coleman inviting him to his 21st birthday party. It's in my man cave. Uh, so wow. yeah, it's kind of a random, <laughs> random piece of knowledge that I, or memorabilia I picked up on eBay. And, uh, but the thing that really resonated with me was how you talked about the Notre Dame way throughout the book. Uh, and, I, I coach uh, college rugby, and I'm trying to instill this into the players that I have. And it's definitely a must-read if you are a coach at any level. Uh, but really, what do you think a common line was during these interviews that that you really hit with uh, with these players that the Notre Dame way was different? Is it the similar? Or what? Where do you think that t- common line stays uh, between Lou Holtz uh, to – to Charlie Weiss, to Brian Kelly, and Tyrone Willingham, of course, in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that as I interviewed more and more players, it became very evident that, you know, what what I've kind of coined the Notre Dame value stream is that during all of our times at Notre Dame, you know, we not only got academic instruction, you know, you've got instruction on your faith, and morality, how to make good decisions, Um, you know, and I think all of these guys reiterated that in their experiences that Notre Dame kind of molded and shaped them into the men they became, which was how the title came about. Um, And so while not all of the stories, you know, there's a lot of happy parts to the stories, but some of the guys have struggles, they face they make bad decisions, but that's life, right? That's part of the human endeavor. We're not all going to be perfect. We're going to stumble and fall. But if you have that, you know, value stream at your core, you're going to get back up again. You know, you're going to try again and hopefully you succeed. So we always tried at the end of each chapter to kind of include some lessons that, you know, they learned in their experiences hopefully to teach somebody else a few important life skills and, you know, maybe you don't make the same same mistakes that they did. So it's just, um, you know, I wanted to tell real stories and real stories aren't, they don't always have a happy ending, you know? Um, So it's been good to kind of be able to present the highs and lows and the good and the bad. And, and hopefully, you know, we, can help people live their lives well and that's just kind of how the journey went (laughs) awesome and i think that really resonates as well if you listen to a lot of the recruiting that notre dame does now about the four for 40 uh and i think with your book it it definitely highlights uh that there is a life outside of football not everyone uh, is going to be you know an, an nfl player and there there are definitely some uh one that comes to mind that i was just talking to one of my friends about the other day was mike Dinello, uh who's doing very well for himself right now uh, but he wasn't going to be a football player, but it really did set himself up uh, for the rest of his life, that that 40-year career path there. Uh, so just a few other questions here. Uh, what can Notre Dame fans expect uh, moving forward? Is there another book in the works or possibly a screenplay with some of my favorite characters? Tim Brown, maybe? 
Right. I, yeah, uh, I will say when I interviewed Tim Brown, I was so nervous because I had met him once in person very briefly, um, but I really wasn't sure to expect with that phone call. And so, you know, I call him, I get on the phone and we're like maybe five minutes into the interview and he's like, can you hold on for a minute? And I'm like, sure. And I can hear him yelling at one of his kids and he comes back and he's like, why is it as soon as you get on the phone, your kids are like, dad, dad, dad. And <laughs> I just thought that that made him so relatable to me, right? Like, here's this guy that I think the world of, right? And he has the same problems in life that I do. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I do have a couple other book projects in the works. I am working on a book with Lee Becton right now. Um, I am working potentially on a book with Tavon Coney. Okay. And um, I've just been approached by uh, some former baseball players to write a Notre Dame baseball book. So cool. I got lots of irons in the fire. <laughs> well, that that's awesome. Now, you kind of answer that question with Tavon Coney, but are there any players within let's say the, the last four years, uh, anyone like that that you would really want to interview? Anyone at the top of your list there? Ooh, I mean, I think there's a lot of really good stories out there to be told. Um, I try to let them have, you know, at least a decade of life post Notre Dame to really have some experiences, you know, to be able to tell stories. Um, then, I've talked a little bit with Max Redfield. Okay. So, you know, I think he needs a few more years and I would love to tell his story. Um, you know, I think I'd love to get my hands on Manti Teo, but, you know, again, they all have to be ready to tell right. their story. Um, and sometimes it takes a little more time. I mean, I have a couple of guys from my era that are still not quite ready to tell stories. So, um, you know, it just some guys you get on the phone and it's three hours and some guys you get on the phone and it's 35 minutes. So, you know, everyone's different in how much they're willing to lay out there for you. But, um, you know, I think everyone tells you as much as they're ready to tell you and I enjoy telling the stories because I think regardless of whether you're a fan or not, they're all kind of human interest stories that so we all can kind of relate to the journey and and that life doesn't always take you where you think it's going to take you. <laughs> Definitely. And if you ever get Matt Lavecchio on the phone, that, that'll be a very interesting one. He's the first quarterback I remember. And I remember going into football practice my first day saying I wanted to be like Matt Lavecchio. And then my my coach made me an offensive lineman. Uh, so my uh, my career derailed really quick with that dream. Uh, but that's that, that's the player that sticks out to me. Uh, last question on my end. I'll let Dylan talk about just his last couple. Uh, when I was Googling and getting all my uh, information ready for this interview, uh, your related search was Ian Book. Uh, so can you confirm or deny that Lisa Kelly is a Heisman contender this year? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I saw Look that. that. So Lisa Kelly's a Heisman contender. 
Yeah, you and Ian Book are, are one and the same. I think that, that makes uh, him the next uh, person you need to interview. Uh, but that that's where really where I'm at. If right. you're a Notre Dame fan, if you're a coach, uh, definitely pick up these books. Highly recommend. Uh, super well-written, and uh, I really enjoyed my time reading them. Uh, you're now on my bookshelf between Charlie Weiss and Lou Holtz. Uh, so that's a pretty high opportunity yeah. right, right there. Uh, now, Dylan, do you have a couple last ones about the season, a couple of predictions that you want to get into? Uh, good question. Um, I, I think that was fascinating to listen to. Um, I think Manti Teo is one day going to tell his story, and and I think a lot of people will be ashamed for how they treated him um, during that whole debacle. But, um, Lisa, fantastic to hear from you. I would like to know your thoughts on the season so far. You know, going into this season, I had pretty high expectations. I mean, I all but, you know, once we found out we were playing an ACC schedule, you know, I really thought that, you know, if we had one loss, it would be Clemson. But, you know, in my predictions, I really thought that Notre Dame had an excellent chance to go undefeated. Um you know, and as we've been moving along, they seem to be living up to that expectation. Um, I really see that we go undefeated, and gosh, I'd love another shot at Clemson with Trevor Lawrence at the helm so we can really quiet the naysayers and say, look, we beat them twice, and we beat them with Trevor Lawrence leading the way. So that's, that's what I look for. <laughs> So be honest, when Clemson came around, you know, last week, did you pick the Irish to win? I did pick the Irish to win. So ah, it was that's it. awesome. <laughs> we were at a bar in Nashville watching the game, and it was just the most incredible experience. <laughs> that is perfect to hear. There's some people out there who, who didn't take the Irish to win, so we're glad you're on, uh, you're on the right side of history. I am. <laughs> <laughs> so moving forward, you know, you, you suggested that we have a really good chance and that we could we could beat Clemson again. Um, let's look even bef- like further than that. Let's look at the playoff. Do you think this team can win the national championship? I definitely think this team can. I think this team has shown a resilience. You know, they don't quit. They they brush themselves off and get back up again. I mean, if you saw the look on Ian Book's face when he fumbled that ball into the end zone, I mean, that was pretty crushing. But he was able to dust himself off and get back out there. And, I mean, they never gave up. You know, you never saw them crumble. Uh, I think that the confidence in this team right now is definitely what you need to make it at that level. And... I think they've got it. Absolutely. I echo that completely. We've, we've talked about this on the, the podcast last week, that the resilience is something that I've never seen at Notre Dame before. And we've seen resilient teams, but that was, Ian Book was not going to be denied. And, and that's something that's I think other teams should be afraid of. Um, but th- that's it from, from me. Unless Steve has anything to ask, I would say, um, do you want to you know plug your social media accounts, let us know anything else you're working I, on or anything else you want to talk about? <clears throat> Yeah, I do have two quick questions, and and thank you so much for all your time. You've been uh, amazing, and and all this insight is is great. And I'll, I'll, I know I'm for one gonna be uh, gonna be buying at least one of your books, if not all of them. Uh, 
So my questions are going to be coming as a, a bit of an outsider here, uh, you know, and, and you're you're more so on the inside of us. So I wanted to uh, you know have you shed a little bit of light on it for us. My first question is a little bit silly. Uh, the the first question here is um, you know as someone who you know I grew up in Rhode Island, I went to school in Rhode Island. Uh, I have on the surface absolutely no connection to Notre Dame, but I would consider myself bleeding. Uh, blue and gold and and green, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are, are feel the same way. So, as someone who actually attended the university, is is there any sort of stigma that someone who didn't go to the school that uh, is is there sort of any sort of stink on that, or is it just you know what we're all one happy fan base and and we're all on on the train together? So, if there's any insight you can provide into that. In my eyes, we are totally one happy family. I mean, I think the Subway alumni are as legitimate fans as the alumni are. Um, you know, I've I've had people actually turn it around on me and tell me, well, if you're an alum, you're not a real fan, which I never <laughs> understood that argument. That's you know, um, I'm the girl. Yeah, it's crazy. But I'm the girl, I have Notre Dame friends, I have St. Mary's friends, which, you know, they all say Notre Dame girls don't get along with the St. Mary's girls, but that's not true. Um, you know, I think I, it drives me crazy when people argue on social media, like amongst ourselves, I'm like, we're on the same side here. <laughs> but no, I think that if you're a Notre Dame fan, it doesn't matter whether you're an alum or a Subway, you know, we're all on this together. Perfect. I, I think uh, we all echo that same sentiment, and, and thank you very much for that. Uh, and then my other question, just a little bit more lighthearted and fun, is uh, you know you uh, were around South Bend for many a Saturday over the course of your time there, and, and you, I'm, I'm sure you probably still make it uh, back to South Bend from time to time. What is your absolute favorite game day or even game weekend tradition? Wow. Well, you know, for years we would go back. I have a group of girlfriends, you know, and that's kind of our reunions is going back to campus. Um, you know, we have traditions. I used to love, you know, watching the band step off and and being outside of the church to watch the team walk from the church to the stadium. And of course, they've kind of changed that a little bit. Um you know, I loved when my kids were old enough to start taking them to games. Um, my game day experience now has kind of changed because now with me writing for One Foot Down, I also do photography for Shake Down the Thunder Sports. So for almost eight years now, I've either been credentialed in the press box or on the field doing photography. So, I mean, all the things that we kind of used to do have a little bit altered now because I either have to leave early to go into the stadium. And I think my friends, you know, miss the old days, but, you know, I keep telling them this is not going to last forever. And it's an opportunity that I, I want to make the most out of while I have it, you know? Um, but I love going to the grotto and lighting a candle. Um, I just love watching the players walk, you know, from the library into the stadium there's so many great Notre Dame traditions, you know, the trumpets under the dome. I don't know. We spend our whole weekend like running from one tradition to another. So it's really hard to pick a favorite. <laughs> I, I imagine because you, you're exactly right. There are so many that it's hard to just hone in on one. But thank you very much for sharing. 
Uh, so I, those are all the questions that I had on my end. So, so Dylan, as, as you were going to be leading us out here, I'll, I'll let you take it from here, buddy. No, that's, that's it. Lisa, I think we want to give you a big thanks for coming on to the show um, to, to provide some credibility and some street rep for us. Um, anything you want to plug uh, before you go, your social media, things you're working on? Sure. Yep. You, you can find me. Um, I'm well, my personal Twitter is the number four leaf clover girl and the book Twitter is echoes from ND and um, like echoes from ND is on Twitter. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. So it's pretty consistent everywhere um, to thank my, my followers. You know, if you buy books this holiday season on my website, which is echoes from Notre Dame books.com. If you use the code ND 25, you'll get 25% off. So I appreciate, you know, everyone for following me for years and buying the book. So I'm trying to give back a little bit in case people want to buy holiday presents. And if you order through my website, I personally sign everything. I gift wrap during the holidays and I ship for free. So just trying to give back as much as I can. Wow, that's that's awesome. Um, I know Steve is definitely going to be on that website for Christmas. 100%. <laughs> well, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, we look forward to, to reading all your new books that come out. Thank you. I appreciate it. Go Irish. Go Irish. Go Irish. Go Irish. And a big thanks. Big thanks to Lisa Kelly and Giuliano. Um, awesome to have the guests. This is bi week, so we, we like to interact with you guys. And that's and that's why we started this podcast, right? Is to is to get to know you guys more, voice your opinions and and kind of be that vehicle for the N D fan base. Um, so with that being said, uh, I think the the three of us now can, can kind of just talk about Boston College um, as a whole. Uh, the Irish win 45-31. In my opinion, that scoreline looked way closer than the game was. Um, pretty a pretty awful start to the game. I think you guys would would agree there. Um, but uh, you know what? The most interesting part of all of our lives is P Wagon telling his stories of what he did on game day because they usually involve alcohol and violence. So P Wagon, I'll let you I'll let you explain to the audience what the hell happened. I I sat in the dark for the majority of the game. Uh, <laughs> to be quite frank, it's yeah, just got dark. Yeah, um Mrs. Wagon was out wedding dress shopping for the majority of the day, so I didn't turn on any lights. Uh and it gets dark pretty early here. I'm not sure if Canada has daylight savings time, but I I sat, then they were losing, so I started to pace and then they started to win. So I walked uh 1.17 miles in my house while watching the game. Uh, no alcohol, no violence. When that onside kick, the the second one happened, um, I was talking with the former uh, Barstool Viceroy. He works for Barstool now, Sean Gross. And my three tweets in a row were pulling up right here. Hmm. I said, I left the room. By room, I mean house. I ended up on my front lawn. My fiance hates me. So <laughs> I I walked out. Then I came back. 
I always do. But that I had a pretty uneventful game day. I was tired. I'm fucking tired, guys. I need this week. I don't need to stress about Clemson or Boston College. I just need a week to not have to care about football. And that's this week. Yeah, I think this is actually kind of perfect timing because we had that emotional win, obviously, against Clemson. Then we had this game out in uh, out in at, at Boston College where it was it was closer than it should have been just because of mistakes. But then again, it was also kind of a blowout at the same time. We really did dominate the second half. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think a a, a well timed especially ahead of UNC, a well-timed bye week is definitely going to be beneficial for us. I mean, if you look at the first drive, it really felt like it was going to be one of those games because we almost sacked Phil like four times, and he just kept dodging them because he's a big boy. He's mobile. And that touchdown, like, that is the flukiest touchdown ever. Oh. He he missed through. The cornerback overran it like he should have, right? Like, you know, you expect there to be a decent throw. He covered him well. And then, you know, your momentum throws you off. And then and then the receiver catches a duck. And, and they go up seven. And then, of course, there's the fumbles, right? We fumbled the ball three times. Um, BC scored seven in garbage time. So, to me, this game actually wasn't that close. We we kind of, I felt, controlled the game for most part. As soon as we, as soon as we took the lead, it was never in doubt, in my opinion. Um... We stopped throwing the ball in the second half too. I mean, Ian Book could have put up godly numbers if he if he really wanted to, um, but you know we just kind of ran out the clock and and whatnot. So, do you guys have horsemen for this game at all? Did you put any thought into it? I have two. Okay. Uh, the first one is Jay. No, it's not Jay Franklin. <laughs> uh, that would have been funny. Gotcha. Uh, it's Seaball Flemister. Uh, he went down with a pretty grow some leg injury i guess he's fine now i guess it was a like a almost bad injury but he's fine uh it was scary for all of us because he runs i'm trying to put this probably i got no analogy he runs just pissed off he he runs like he hates every human who's ever played football uh, so I really like his running style. He's phenomenal. And my second one is Ben Skoranek. Uh Three touchdowns, a taunting penalty, uh, which I'll touch on in a moment. And he number 11 just made him look taller than he did when he was wearing number 88. Uh, he's just a tall man who is very good at football, who will be the next Larry Fitzgerald. Mark my words. Yeah, Ben Skoranek has really, really turned it on this season. What about you, Steve? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really prepare uh, a four horsemen just because I knew we had some interviews. But I, off the top of my head, um, hey, how about Jack Kaiser? One play, one interception, right? <laughs> uh, he, no, I, in all seriousness, I, it, it's hard to pick out one particular uh, person. I mean, obviously, Book played great. Uh, Got to give a shout out to the offensive line. Um, there was one particular play I remember in general where Book was able to unload in the pocket and, and, and get the ball deep downfield. I think it was on the Avery Davis crossing route where literally there was just nowhere even remotely close to touching Book because he had such good protection. So the offensive line was fantastic, but uh, it, it was a team effort. There was a couple of guys that made some sloppy plays. There was a couple of guys that, that you know kind of held everything together, but... Uh, I'm sure we can go through down the, the entire roster and give everyone, everyone a shout out, a shout out rather. But 
I did not prepare a horseman, so this is my way of kind of speaking my way around that. That's okay. Um, I went I went all offense. Uh, fourth for me, Avery Davis. Two receptions, 70 yards, and one rush for 29. I thought he was electric. He, he had another breakout game. Um, he had that huge, huge reception where he took it right to the goal line, essentially. Um, he's going to be key in the slot for us, I think, moving forward. Um, mm-hmm. Three, I went with Saborius Flemster. Uh, just like P, I thought he was, he was fantastic. He had 10 carries, 53 yards, two touchdowns, and he was third on the team in total EPA, courtesy of Connor McQuiston. Um, he had a good game, ran hard. It seemed like they benched Kyron Williams and they just went with Sebo and, uh, and I don't think there was any real complaints there. And, and I think that echoes the fact that we've got three really good, uh, running backs on this team. Uh, Lots of depth. Just to t- uh, talk on that real quick, Kyron banged up his shoulder on that catch fumble. Uh, so they were holding him out for uh, maintenance. Oh, well, thanks for clar- for clarification. Um, but, you know, I don't think I've ever seen a better stable of backs at Notre Dame. And a lot of that is the offensive line. But you can see the talent there, with uh, particularly with Kyron Williams and, uh, and the pure speed of, of Chris Tyree. Um, second for me, Ben Skoranek, whose name I finally mastered. Um, five receptions, 63 yards, three touchdowns. He was fourth in total EPA. He did have the fumble, but I'm not really going to blame him for that. Um, really good game. He's been electric lately too. He, like you said, P, he's a lot taller than I think people think. Um, he's big, he's lanky, and he's strong with his hands, right? He mossed a guy. He's, he's, uh, he's a physical receiver. And I like that. Number one for me, no question, Ian Book. Um, what a performance again. Um, unbelievable. I thought, um, I'll let you guys, you know, tell me how you thought he played, but he finished, QBR 97.6. He was third in the country. Um, he's now brought his EPA up on the year, or sorry, his QBR up to 84.1 on the year. Um, and for reference, in his 2018 season, he was 80. So he's actually surpassed his 2018 season with his last few performances. He's now 14th in the country. Uh, and in that game, uh, he accounted for 14.3 total EPA himself. It's just another monster game. If you look into it, his his passing and his running was lethal. Um, just he's such a good dual threat quarterback. His footwork, we've criticized his jitteriness. That seems to go go away. And the other side of that, his ability to get out of the pocket with his feet has been phenomenal. I mean, there's that one play. Um, which, the touchdown tossed a Skoranek? That's my juice in my nuts moment, so I'll just get that out of the way right now. That was one of the greatest plays I think I've ever seen. Just the way he had backpedaled out, moved to the left, and threw an unbelievable strike to Ben Skoranek. Um, He's just, he's lightning. He's lightning lately, and um, do you guys agree with that? Or, you know, if anybody, it's P. Do you have any problems with him? Yeah. Wait, as a Notre Dame quarterback or an NFL quarterback? Okay, so I'm just going to interject there. We've made fun of him for not being an NFL quarterback prospect, which he probably isn't, but I love hey, him as a Notre Dame quarterback, and that two, needs to be clear in case two that out of comes three, out. Two out of three horsemen have, have said that he was a CFL quarterback. There is one particular horseman on this podcast. It's actually the one speaking as we as we speak right now. Uh, it's it's actually Speakception, who has never, ever mocked him about being a CFL quarterback. And if anything, he has been super duper positive and upbeat and and thinking that Ian was going to lead us to the promised land as of August of this year. So shout out me. 
I just want to say, though, if Ian ever hears this, we love him as a quarterback this season. He's been fantastic as a college quarterback. I compared him to Joe Montana earlier, okay? Great. As an NFL prospect, I think me and P have in this past said maybe he's destined for the CFL. I, I'm Canadian. I think that's a compliment. It's a way better football league. Um, I don't know if he's, if he's going to the NFL. Yards. Anyway, I'm going – what's today? It's the – 15th of November at 5.55 Eastern. I want this on the record. Dylan, you're a lawyer. You can do this for me. Or a lawyer in training. I recant my previous statements about Ian. I guess his middle name probably like Michael or something. Ian Buck. Ian Michael Buck. He is a very good quarterback. He is a better quarterback than Phil Dracovic. Facts. He is a better quarterback than 90% of the quarterbacks in this country. A bad quarterback doesn't bring a team to number two in the nation. He will be an NFL player. Let's go. I recant wow. all of my previous statements, including that whole situation we had last year, the year before, with the whole, you know, we don't talk, the, the thing we don't talk about. I think. He may not get drafted, but he will be on the NFL roster come 2021. Yeah, I think it's possible, and I think his improvement this year has made that possible. His footwork has gotten better. His his throwing accuracy has been through the roof the last couple weeks. Something that we were bad for, Steve and I, last year, because the season had gone the way it went, we wanted Phil to to get the start because we thought he was the future. We thought Book was was his last year anyway, Um, and obviously we were wrong. Um, but we never, I don't think we were ever anti-book ever, right? We were keeping Phil in mind as the future. But this season, it's been unequivocal, I think, with how good he's been. Um, so, Steve, do you do you want us to say anything on that? The, he's just a guy that no matter what, he does everything that he possibly can to keep his team in the game to win. And, you know, he, he doesn't have, uh, you know, the greatest arm to ever exist. He, you know, he, he can't throw the ball like Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if I'm spoiling, spoiling anyone's day if, if they thought that he could. But, um, you know, you see his grit and determination, man. Determination. Determination. He's just, uh, yeah, he, he's just a gamer. He just goes out there and, and one way or another finds a way to win football games. And that is, again, I think a part of a larger narrative and part of the persona of this football team as compared to years past. And I think it's all personified through Ian Book uh, at the helm leading the way. And, and I think it, it starts with at the top down from him. You know, from it goes from Kelly down to Book and then, and then it reverberates throughout the entire organization and team. And I think that's the uh, the differentiator because if you look at this game, you know, a, a key statistic is that we um, we had three we had three turnovers, right? Of those three turnovers, we only allowed three points off those turnovers, whereas we had two takeaways. You know, there was a, a fumble recovery and then uh, Jack Kaiser's interception, and we had fourteen points off of those two takeaways. Uh, so it's just even when things go went wrong. Uh, I'm sure everyone was punching air and throwing their fists around because we were pissed off. And it's like, here we go. Here's the inevitable stinker. And, you know, is this a trap game? This, that, the other, like, uh, I, I, trust me, I had all those emotions myself too throughout it. Um, but 
sure enough, the team just stayed with it. They stayed focused no matter when the mistakes came. Resilience, and, and again, that, that is all coming at the very top from Ian Book, who is this year's 2020 savior. So Ian Book is our quarterback. Nothing but good things to say about him, man. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, what, what happened? A light has switched on in him. I think a lot of us have recognized this. About four weeks ago, it was the pit game. Something changed. Is what what happened? Did he become a man? I think did, it's confidence. Uh, I honestly think what it's just what confidence. well, and that's what I want to know. P, you're the coach here. What what did you see differently? What has sparked so, this light? Uh, that's a a good question, and I'm trying to pull up the stats from the pit game uh, right now, but. It's a level of confidence. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Skoranek is like his best friend. And yeah. I believe he came back. He got injured early in the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to pull this up as I'm talking right now. So Skoranek went down either week one or week two, right? Yep. So he goes down. Florida State, we don't have him. Louisville was just an ugly game. We don't have Ian doesn't have his safety blanket. It's a combination of having his best friend and his favorite receiver back, having come back from beating one of the the top teams in the country in double overtime, and the fact that I think Tommy got in his ear, or Coach Reese, whatever you want to call him, got in his ear and said, hey, pretty much nut up. like That's where you're at there, because Reese had to do the same thing back when he played. Yeah, so, well, they're very similar. Yeah. Okay, so question for you guys. It's no surprise, to me at least, that in the last four weeks, the quarterback breaks out. is around the same time the wide receiver group breaks out. The question I have for you guys is, did those things happen because the quarterback improved? Because the wide receiver group improved? A little bit of both? Or do they neither? Did they just improve independently on their own? It's the teams were playing. So Steve, I'll, I'll let you get to your point, but I think it's the teams that we were playing. So since Pitt, you have what? Pitt, Georgia Tech, Clemson, Clemson and Boston College. None of those defensive backs are very good. And the field is more wide open for routes to be run because they're not playing this press man defense. Uh, even if they are, you have, you know, Clemson was sending linebackers leaving the middle of the field open. BC left the entire fucking middle of the field open I, that I could have thrown a pass at. So I think it's... I'm, I'm taking issue with that because I don't believe Duke has better corners than Clemson. I, I don't mean, think Louisville has better corners than Clemson. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think I that's think just Louisville does just based off of what we're seeing on the field. Clemson's corners did not show up. Or maybe our receivers just were better, and they've been better, right? Steve, what do you think? I'll tend to, to, to side with you here, Dylan. I, I mean, you, you, we forget that, once again, we are in the middle of a pandemic. We didn't, typically, we didn't have the, the typical spring or summer where you're getting these guys into a rhythm, building confidence, building trust with one another. So, you know, the only guy that, he, you know, that book he really had any sort of chemistry with was Javon McKinley. And, and, you know, I love Javon, but he is what he is. Whereas he, he can, uh, he can be very hot or cold. The last couple of weeks he's been hot, thankfully. And I keep, hopefully yeah. he rides that streak throughout. 
Um, the chemistry is built there. The timing's been built there. Uh, books, confidence is up. The offensive line is being fantastic. So I think it's all the, it's a, an amalgamation of everything all at one time of everything just starting to come together. It took some time, you know, there was some bad weather in that Louisville, Louisville game. So I'm not going to say that like, uh, you know, it's not that we played terrible. It was just, we didn't play our best. And there was also some extenuating circumstances and factors that, that played into that. But I, I think that now we're just on a roll. We've, we've had a couple of good weather weeks. Uh, we've had the right game plan, the right scheme. You know, Coach Reese has been dialing up the right calls. We've been increasing play action. So there's so many different factors that come into it at once. But I, I think it's, yeah, it's it's hard to pinpoint one thing. But the first thing that I can say is is definitely you, you can see a confidence with Ian Book that you did not see early on in the season. Yeah, I, I almost tend to think that both have gotten better on their own, and while there is certain overlap, like you've just seen McKinley perform better. He's catching the ball better. He's getting open more. Ben Skronik is getting open more. Avery Davis has just has been playing outside of his mind, all while Book has been better too. And while those things are interdependent, I think just this is growth. This is just growth on both sides. And like you said, it's confidence with Book. Um, it might be scheming and play calls with with Kelly and Reese, um, but you know, P. If you got a point, I'll let you jump in because I want to get into to another discussion. Oh no, I'm just I'm just oh, okay. You're just I'm, yeah. distracting. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Well, what I want to ask then is Heisman? Question mark. Not. I okay. So I don't think he'll win the Heisman. I think it's a little too late for that. But let me give you his stats. Last four weeks, I pulled up. So, Pitt, he had a 96 QBR, and these are all adjusted, so they count, they account for garbage time and opponents and all that stuff. Georgia Tech, 82.2. Clemson, 80.6, and PFF gave him his highest grade of his career at 90. BC, 97.6. These are Heisman numbers, no doubt, right? You look at Mac Jones, Kyle Trask, they're in the mid to low 90s. Book has consistently been there lately. Um at least in that upper upper tier. Do you think there's any shot at a Heisman? Do you think he'll get any votes? Um, what, what are your thoughts? It's going to depend on what happens with the rest of the teams. Uh, Zach Wilson, I've been high on him since the beginning of the season. Uh, he's obviously, he, he'll be a Heisman contender. Kyle Trask is fucking just playing lights out right now. Uh, but really, the two... Heisman candidates uh, is going to be Justin Fields from Ohio State, de- depending if what happens this weekend with Indiana, uh, and Matt Jones from Alabama. I know we haven't seen a lot of tape on Alabama because of COVID, but Matt Jones is the real deal. Uh, the ideal situation is Indiana beats uh, uh, up on Justin Fields. I think if that happens, if Indiana continues to hold the state and hold the line there with uh, – bringing the state up to being the premier state in college football. Uh, he'll get a look. Uh, but right now, my Heisman ballot would probably be Matt Jones, uh, Justin Fields, and Zach Wilson, with Ian Book as a, a distant fourth. <clears throat> the Heisman Memorial Trophy is awarded annually to the most outstanding player in NCAA football. Winners epitomize great ability combined with diligence, perseverance, and hard work. You're talking about a player that is playing at the highest level on one of, on one of the best teams that is putting in perseverance, not quitting, hard work, 
and overall outstanding play leading to his team winning football games. By the definition, Ian Book is a Heisman contender. That's you know, a good he point. Had a, he had a couple of off weeks, uh, and, and a lot of the, the weeks that he had early on when he was only getting 160, you know, 160 180 100, you know, yards, whatever that may be, those were also games where with our offensive line, we were running for 350 yards a game, don't forget. So, so yeah, I mean, is, is he going to be putting up Tim Tebow-esque stats or Kyler Murray or you know, having these ridiculous seasons or Johnny Manziel or anything of the sort? No. Is he the mo- the most critical and crucial player on arguably the number one team in the country who has persevered through everything, start to finish, to make sure that he's putting his team in a position to win? Yes, and that's why he he earns the conversation. Doesn't automatically earn a vote or a win, but the conversation for sure. So I, I, that's a good point. I want to touch on that um, first. I hope Justin Fields doesn't win because Ohio State is tied with us for seven Heisman's, and that would put them in sole possession of top place bullshit if he uh, does because they're only playing like seven games so that's bullshit yeah and and that's a good point they'll probably be factored against him like it would be for lawrence when i say i don't think he's gonna win the heisman i almost mean like on in my ballot in my head that his first half of the season was just okay and even if he played phenomenal the rest of the season it would ha- be hard for me to say he's he's the best but that's not what the voters say and i i, I see both a pro and a con here so the con is something you mentioned it passing, Steve, is the passing yards. Heisman voters don't know stats at all, and they may look at passing yards and say, well, how could we give that to you, right? They might not consider what we actually do with our offense. So that's the one con that may hurt Ian Book. The pro, though, is for the, by the same virtue. They don't know stats. I mean, Manti Teo finished second in the Heisman voting because of a narrative that he was carrying a Notre Dame team to a national title game. And that's the one benefit of being at Notre Dame is if you're on an undefeated team and you're an outstanding player, you're in the Heisman conversation. And if Notre Dame, after beating Clemson, by the way, goes out and beats Clemson again, because I think the Heisman votes do consider conference championship games, you may get that narrative. Look, Notre Dame quarterback, he he persevered, he had such a great end to the season, his stats, you know, we'll assume his stats continue at this rate. They may just give that to him anyway because Notre Dame is an undefeated team who's won an ACC title because of Book. So, you know, I I don't think he would be number one on my ballot unless something outstanding happened. But I do think that I, I that conversation could still happen that he could be there. I got a question for you. If Mac Jones gets injured, does Alabama still have an opportunity to win the SEC championship and uh, and contend in the playoffs? Uh, that's a tough one. Well, here's the thing, right? Um, if that is the biggest problem for Notre Dame getting into the playoff with a with a Clemson, like losing to Clemson in the title game, mm-hmm. is if Florida beats Alabama, Alabama probably gets in over Notre Dame as the fourth seed. Mm-hmm. However, and we're assuming they lose to Florida here, if their quarterback is hurt and is not going to be playing in the semifinal and final. I don't know if Alabama could even get in because at that point, the voters might say, well, you know, the resumes might be better than Notre Dame's, but I mean, they have no shot without this quarterback. If he gets hurt, I think P wagon thinks that that SEC game is over. I don't, but I think Florida becomes the favorite. I think Trask is a really good quarterback and Alabama has a really shoddy defense. 
that game's going to be interesting. So um, the point I'm trying to make here is value to the team. If yeah. Mac Jones gets injured, don't you think that Alabama has another sort of recruit that's probably a five-star or a four-star guy that they can plug and play, use their system, and at the very least, they're going to be competing in games in the SEC and potentially playing their way into the playoffs? Yes, and I think and, that's the the MVP in other sports and, too, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and now if Ian Book were to, God forbid, get injured, knock on wood, what happens to our season? It probably ends. Okay. I mean, I... It, it, I know it's, I know it's the most outstanding player, not the most valuable player. So it's sure. a little bit of a different conversation when it comes to Heisman versus MVP. Um, but, but then you're looking at Wilson though out of BYU, and the same thing would be applicable there too, right? They are not sure. the ninth team in the country without. Oh, him. A- absolutely, um, yeah, no, yeah, and and he he should absolutely be in the conversation. He's been playing lights out out of his out of his freaking mind. But I I think I, I, just to rehash what I said before, and and I'll I'll let you guys take it from here because I want you guys to get your words in. But for sure in the conversation, uh, he's he's played him his way in. And uh, thank you, Ian, very much. Uh, is he gonna win? chance no, but he's definitely played his way into the conversation. P, you seem to be reading something interesting. Do you have have some news to break or what? Yeah, I'm reading the Alabama quarterback room. Holy shit. Stone Hollenbach. Jaden George. Paul Tyson. Logan Burnett. Mac Jones. Bryce. Young, Braxton Barker, and then they have a punter named Trip. <laughs> so, yeah. is there a point to this? Yes, I couldn't figure out who the backup quarterback was. Uh, it's Bryce Young. Uh, he's from Pasadena. Went to Mater Dei. Uh, we're familiar with Mater Dei High School. Uh, he has gone eight for fifteen passing, eighty-four yards this season. Uh, yeah, and he made his debut against Missouri. Uh, Is he the five-star kid? Because someone told us that, or I've heard from somewhere, that Alabama is going to have a very, very good quarterback once Mac Jones leaves. Yeah, he's the nation's top-ranked dual-threat quarterback, five-star prospect, Army All-American, 2019 high school quarterback of the year, player of the year, player of the year, All-American team, Gatorade football player of the year, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So considering what DJ did at Clemson, I'm sure if Mac Jones gets hurt, Alabama actually wouldn't be derailed, um, which I think goes to Steve's point. Um, yep, that's all I got. So book possible Heisman. I think he's got to keep it up to, to, to stay in that conversation. But you've seen this in past. I mean, power rankings for Heisman largely goes by if you win games or not. And that's stupid. But if you're on a good team, you could win the Heisman. We saw that with Manti Teo. So it, I, I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility. Um, is there anything you guys want to say about BC or, or the bye week coming up before we, we end this podcast? We need Indiana to beat Ohio State. Uh, we've mentioned Manti Teo now five times today. <laughs> five. I should mention uh, him more. He's, he is a fan, phenomenal college player. And I'm looking forward to doing a bunch of housework uh, this week. Uh, that's that's all I got. Boston College was a game. I'm glad it's over. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, we'll preview North Carolina for that podcast. Um, Steve? Yeah. Um, 
eight and oh man eight and oh and and in the year 1993 what happened was the Notre Dame fighting Irish upset the number one team in the nation Florida State was that correct correct Correct. and then the following week they went and they played Boston College who was ranked you know albeit uh and Boston College beat them so that was the year 1993 in the year 1988 the Notre Dame Fighting Irish uh, went undefeated and won a national championship. So, and in so doing, beat number one ranked Miami. They did, Catholic convicts. Exactly. So the point that I'm making is that it is mathematically impossible for this year to feel like the year 1993 because we beat Boston College. It feels like 88. We are going to the national title, and we are 8-0, and and we're heading into a bye week, and everything is just awesome. And that's all the thoughts that I have. Have you seen a team of yours lose yet? Uh, nope. The Steelers are up at halftime. Chase Claypool has made a couple of more big plays. I've, I've restrained myself from screaming out in the middle of our interview with Lisa. But, um, <laughs> but it, 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 we're coming up on our 10th week of football, and I'm go- going to be yet to see any of my additional teams, uh, of, of my football teams lose, assuming that Joe Burrow doesn't lead a ridiculous comeback against the Steelers. P, you have any any words? Uh, go Hoosiers, beat the Buckeyes. Feels like '88. First time you heard it was here. Go Irish. Yeah, rest up. That's the big thing. Let's get. We're gonna get Lindsey back from North Carolina. We're gonna get a little healthier. That's gonna be a big game, though. I mean, that the North Carolina is probably ranked and will be ranked by that point if they if they don't lose next week. I don't know if they play. Um, that's going. That's the one we picked out at the start of the year. Is the other big game was North Carolina. So, we win this. I think our our berth in the in the title game is effectively clinched, and uh, we'll be seeing Clemson again. So, from all of us here at the Four Horsemen Podcast, thank you to Giuliano and Lisa for coming on the show, and uh, go Irish. Go Irish. Go Irish.